Hello and welcome to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM. Online, if you want to listen uh, worldwide, you can check us out, radionorthland.org. Listen to us live and in the moment there. Or if you happen to miss uh, this episode, what, or if you came up halfway through the show and you wish you could hear this episode again, I archive things at radionorthland.org. In fact, this uh, week is going to be my big archiving. i got to put up a whole bunch of new episodes from the past couple of weeks. So you got that. You have a tune-in app. You can check us out, too. Uh, there as well so plenty of places to find wrestling memories i'm glenn brogett along with my man down there deep in the heart of texas mr mike mccurdy the grizzled vet himself and grizz it's uh well it's already towards the end of, of the month of may it's been interesting uh, times in pro wrestling and uh interesting programs too uh man how are you doing today sir i'm doing good man you know we were we were just discussing, you know, weather here a few minutes before we went on to record the show, and that, uh, you know, here in Texas, we're starting to get up into those 80s and 90s days because, you know, summertime's about to hit. So, you know, looking forward to the well, not looking forward to triple digits, but they're coming. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're right, man. There's a lot of uh, the wrestling programs and wrestling, uh, you know, product out there to, to view now. Whether you're a Biography fan, you're a Dark Side fan, you're a, you know, memorabilia fan. There's all sorts of shows going on right now. Yeah, it is. A and E has done the full court press here with with, with WWE here on these biographies and then this, uh, you know, this uh, hunting, uh, going to find all this archival stuff. Uh, what, I, what was what's the name of that show following uh, the biography, Mike? Do you remember? Most wanted treasures, isn't it? There, there you go. There you go. Our guest is up, has uh, chimed in. Uh, we're going to give you a nice intro, for, but uh, yeah, we're going to talk about you know this. Uh, I don't know. It, I guess it's every you got American Pickers meets the WWE, and uh, it's been kind of interesting to see that. I mean, the, the biographies themselves have been something else too. Uh, uh, a couple of uh, things that have developed uh, as far as controversies uh, from the Macho Man one, of course, and they just had the Warrior one, uh, you know, this uh, past Sunday. And of course, uh, while we're recording tonight, is going to be the premiere of the Dark Side of the Ring episode on Warrior. So, so many. Uh, things going on with pro wrestling and biographies these days, boy. You know, every time I turn on A and E on the weekends and stuff, there's either I'm I'm watching halfway through a Roddy one or the Shawn Michaels one. It's just very interesting to see just how much of a of a press uh, is on here uh, with the WWE with A and E. Well, definitely, and I'm hoping maybe with uh, you know if it proves to be popular, you know they might come back and maybe do some more and do some of the more iconic figures, and we'll get a chance to hear some more stories. So. They still have to wait and see, though. They still can't find that WCW television title. That, uh, I, I, I don't know. who. Ha- Maybe our guest has it hidden somewhere, and he's holding it for ransom. He's going to get a good price from those guys. There you and go. You he, never know. He knows where Vince has got the checkbook, man. Uh, uh, one thing I want to talk about, too, you know, the dark side of the ring has been some very good episodes, and uh, tonight... It's going to be another fantastic, like I said, the Warrior one tonight. We've had some really good ones here to open up the season. Uh, the North Korea, uh, WCW New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling Super Show with the Nick Gage episode. Uh, Brian Pillman, so many good uh, good show, solid stuff. I mean, uh, Darkseid is uh, continuing to deliver in the upcoming ep- weeks. Uh, looks to be some really fascinating uh, topics as well. Well, definitely. You know, I enjoyed the Nick Gage one. I don't know a lot about Nick Gage, and I'm very unfamiliar with the, the deathmatch wrestling you know, scene, so that was kind of interesting for me, kind of something different. Uh, and the Pillman one, of course, was excellent, and I'm sure you know, 
our, our guest today might be able to help fill in a few things about uh, Brian Tillman as well. So that'll be kind of interesting. You know, I think we better bring the man into the conversation. He gave us, uh, uh, already gave us a good tip and uh, helped us remember the name of that show, <laughs> that the collector show of WWE. But anyway, he's way more than that. He's a, a veteran of the pro wrestling, uh, Matt Wars. He's a trainer. He's done some great announcing uh, through the years. He's uh, been in many Hall of Fames. He's uh, been on the board of directors for the Cauliflower Alley Club. He's been on just so many great things. We could talk about his career. He, it's been over 60 years in pro wrestling. So you know this guy has seen it, been there, done that, had the T-shirt, lost the T-shirt, then found a reworking of the T-shirt a few years later, and has, keeps maintaining today. It's uh, such an honor to have him back on Wrestling Memories, Mr. Les Thatcher. Gentlemen, how you doing? Oh, doing well. Great, great. So uh, you guys... Uh, Talking about all the great uh, memorabilia and, and all the well, you know the the WWE treasures thing. That's that's you know that that's kind of a something different, and and this is, you know dark side of the ring and everything. And of course, uh, you know we just came out with the uh, Brian Pillman Memorial Anthology, which is the four years of the Brian Pillman Memorial events that I ran out of HWA in Cincinnati and. Uh, 98, 99, 2000, and 2001. So, yeah, tell us about this package. Now, the little shows, I remember, uh, of course, uh, the first one and uh, some of the wrestling on there, uh, most notably, uh, I think, of that match between, was it Regal and Chris Benoit that was such a fantastic pro wrestling clinic. But let's just, you know, talk about that because the the, 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 the Dark Side of the Ring episode with Brian uh, Pillman just aired here a couple of weeks ago to open up the new season. And, you had a chance to, to know Brian. Being in that Cincinnati area, you've probably heard of Brian way before the pro wrestling wars. Well, actually, I heard of Brian before. I, you know, I, I was on the road when he broke in the business, and my family always kept, you know, if something was going on wrestling-related, they'd cut a newspaper clipping out. So I knew this guy who played with the Bengals and gone to Norman High School and so forth, uh, you know, was, was going to be in wrestling. He was training with... Uh, the hearts in, in Calgary. So that, you know, and everyone's, well, Brian, you must know, Brian, you're both Cincinnati. Well, it's actually more than two stoplights actually in Cincinnati. <laughs> so no, we had never, we actually met at Perillo performance, uh, uh, place in Cincinnati. John Perillo, uh, trains professional and amateur athletes, bodybuilders, football players, wrestlers, so forth, so on. And I was working with John, uh, as a, his senior trainer at the time, and one of the uh, national competitive bodybuilders that lived in the city, Donnie Gay, had come by, and he brought Brian. That's how I first met Brian, was at, at, uh, at John's place in Cincinnati. But I'd heard, you know, I might be in the gym on Monday and, and hear guys talk and say, I heard Pilma kick this guy's ass so at such, such a club across the river over the weekend. So, hey, Brian Pillman's in town. But, yeah, we first met at, at John's. And then when he was... Uh, trying to, you know, get used to the uh, fused ankle. Um, he was coming up to HWA and, and trying different boots and different, you know, different stuff in our ring. And so that's, you know, really, uh, wow, that was, you know, that was painful to watch too because realizing <laughs> his, his age and, and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, he had such a future in the in the oh, ring, yeah, absolutely. and it was just you know because he was trying trying things off the top, and I know I said to him one time, I said, Brian, trying to jump off the top and protecting the fused ankle is going to end up 
making the other league weak as well. You just you're going to, have to just you know narrow down of the things you can use. That's all there is to it. And it was frustrating, but uh, yeah, it, it was uh, the shows. You know, when we started, that that was just it was going to be one show. Mm-hmm. You know, I sat down with uh, the guys at the gym and I said, maybe we should run once uh, a little show, maybe to help Brian's family and to, you know, uh, to uh, in, me- in memory of him. And the, the key operative word is little you know, initially. And we went the first the first show in 98 was at the Norwood High School, junior high school gym where Brian grew up and went to school. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't know what to expect, you know. And, of course, Steve Austin was there, uh, Candido, Benoit, and uh, Jericho were the main event, uh, Sonny, Al Snow. Um, <clears throat> so, actually, we had representation from the three top country uh, companies in the country, WWF, ECW, and WCW. Which just by you know by luck basically we didn't know what we'd draw, and we ended up turning four hundred over four hundred people away, oh. and and put over thirteen hundred in the building, and you know we nobody was any more surprised than we were. Uh, we had a Polaroids with the stars thing, you know, and so many people wanted their pictures taken with these guys that after the show was over, uh, Austin and Ben you know Benoit everybody stayed to get everybody that had bought the VIP deal with the, with the Polaroids. And so it was just, you know, the thing, and then the thing took off. I remember the next morning we'd take, I'd got about two hours sleep, taking guys back to the airport and I'm sitting at, in the gym with my eyes about half closed. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, we've done something special. Maybe we should try another one. But they, actually it was no long-term plan. It was just, one year after the other, but now over that over that period of time, there was nowhere else in the the world that you could see WWF, ECW, and WCW talent all under the same roof at the same time. So that was a unique thing that we brought to the table. But it was a very unique thing. But it was also, I guess, in the spirit of the of what Brian was. Brian was a unique character because, in a short period of time, if it wasn't for that unfortunate accident, he had already uh, worked WCW, ECW into the WWF. So how uh, appropriate it is, even in you know an unfortunate thing like a tribute to him, that you were able to get those three companies together because it was like a short period of time where he was all over the wrestling world. He was a smart, yeah. smart cookie, too. I mean, the way he did it, it was very groundbreaking for the pro wrestling business in the mid-90s and stuff. And, you know, a precursor to what later became more of the Attitude Era and the more revved up stuff with Extreme. But it was a little, it was more than just shock and awe with Brian. It, there was a lot of, it was really well thought out. And then, of course, you know, life got in the way with the accident. Well, Kim Wood, you saw on the dark side, mm-hmm. Kim Kim is a personal friend of mine as well, but he was strength coach for the Bengals for 20 years, one of the uh, designers and inventors of hammer strength equipment. Uh, but anyway, he was like a surrogate father uh, to Brian. And a lot of that planning, Kim, you know, Kim was helpful in, in helping uh, Brian try to organize something basically you know, outside of the realm of what had happened in professional wrestling up to that point in time. But yeah, he was he was a, he was a different cat, as they say. He absolutely was, 
and he brought a whole different thing to the table. But, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, that the guys from all the different places, at that first year, I was talking to Dave Meltzer, and uh, I told him, you know, that I had the guys from WCW and, and, and WWF. And he said, well, you know, if you got somebody from ECW, you'd, you'd have the three big ones. And you know what hadn't crossed my mind? And I thought, damn, Brian has worked in, in ECW briefly. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I didn't know Polly. I'd never met Polly at the time. Uh, so I called Chris Candido, who I had a relationship with from Smoky Mountain. And uh, he went to, to bat for us with Paul, and <clears throat> he made it okay. So we scored the trifecta. And from that point forward, it was, that's the way, you know, but I also feel good that those three companies trusted me enough to put their talent under my roof, that I wasn't going to screw over somebody or, or you know, mismanage it or, or try to create something, you know, that, that they wouldn't believe in. But that, you know, that was also, uh, and of course, the thing grew from that point, from that first show. We moved to Cincinnati Garden in 99. And uh, Schmidt Fieldhouse at Xavier University and on and on, but the four show, each show was bigger, and uh, it it just it, it got a life of its own. And truthfully, guys, uh, the thing became so big we started. What well, like to give you an example? Ninety uh, uh, two thousand and one, uh, we started photos with the stars at noon, the day of the show, at the building, and uh, with. It, and switching uh, talent off, we had like, I think, three, six camera uh, sites set up, and we were switching people in and out all the time. You could, you know, buy your VIP deal. I started noon. Uh, showcase, uh, independent showcase began at 5 p.m. That was HWA, uh, OVW, and other independents that we, we brought in for that. That ran until about 7 o'clock. We broke at 7 o'clock, 15 minutes, came back at 7.15, and started the main show, which was the top talent from the, from the big three. And uh, also auctions, raffles. Uh, Joe the Beltster, the guy that made the spinning belt that oh. Cena loved so much, uh, Joe each year made a Pillman championship belt using the, the main plate was a design from the T-shirts that we were going to have that year. and the, But it was... The entire thing was all about the Pilgrim Memorial shows and Brian, and he gave donated one to each the show each year. We raffled off some artists gave us artwork, uh, but we also J.R. Stetson, D.Lo's chest protector, woman's gown, et cetera, et cetera, Flair's robe, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so the thing just grew. I had I had guys offering to pay me to be on these shows, honestly. Uh, but for the stars, the, the big three uh, paid for the plane tickets. We took care of the hotel. We fed the guys, uh, made sure they had access to gym if they wanted to work out, you know, guys to chauffeur back and forth wherever they needed to go. And that's the way it went, uh, you know, for the four years. But it just, like I say, it took a life of its own. And like every year, there was something special. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, the Benoit Regal match. That was in 2000. Um, and yes, it's a classic. I'd use it as a training tool. I know Tom Pritchard does. A lot of the guys do. It's timeless. And if any young guy that's trying wants to be in the business today, turn your TV off, find that match, and watch it over and over. And it's called wrestling. 
be surprised. But yeah, that's on. Well, and also on this whole thing, all four of those shows are covered on this Pillman uh, memorial thing. And uh, in 2001, the first ever John Cena uh, Randy Orton match was on the Pillman 2001 show. They had not even, well, they hadn't even been on uh, OVW TV against one another at that point, but they hadn't been to the main roster. So a lot of special things, honest to God, you guys. It's over 15 hours of content completely. And the, the deal is, if you weren't at one of these shows, you haven't seen any of this. Probably except the Benoit Regal thing is out there floating around on YouTube, and that was on the uh, Best of Benoit, which, of course, had been pulled off the market. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm very proud of the shows, proud of the volunteers, the talent. I realize all these wrestlers worked for nothing. They donated their time. It, it was just the love of the, the, the man. I mean, Brian was just, I mean, the short time he was here, boy, did he light it up. And, you know, I t- a couple of years ago I had a chance to talk to uh, Brian Jr. And, boy, I had a really good conversation with this guy. I mean, but he was in his first or second, well, his second year of pro wrestling and, just to see him now in AEW is, I mean, he's only a few years into the business. I mean, what can you remember, uh, first of all, seeing, you know, because you had these shows, the family's interactions, especially, you know, with Brian being so young. And have you had any inter- interactions with uh, Junior and over the years, you know, since sure. and, well, and now since actually, he's gotten into the business? Uh, on on the DVDs and uh, in, in among the extras, uh, Junior uh, came here and Joe uh taped he and I talking about the shows and showing some memorabilia that I had. But, you know, he was like just four years old. And, yeah. uh, but now that video, you'll see, uh, I think probably that the extras on there, him and, and Ray Mysterio playing around in the ring in 99, uh, Mysterio, the main event was Mysterio and Conan against, uh, Benoit and Malenko. And, uh, they brought, Brian Jr. to the ring as their mascot uh, for the main event that night. But, uh, yeah, Brian's on this. And, uh, you know, like I say, we kind of walk down memory lane a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about that. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, whew, you know, he, he uh, it had to be something special once he was aware of what he what was around him. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that it was for his, for his father, yes. But if he watched television and saw all these, my God, you know, all these guys are here uh, to help my family. That uh, that had to be something special. And yeah, I hope he hope he has a good career. He's still learning, mm-hmm. and he's still got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I hope he has a great career. If he if if he's even a fraction of the apt pro wrestling pupil that his dad was, I mean, look out. There's going to be some good years ahead of him. Yeah, I, I you know what? Over the years, watching second generation guys, I I never look you know uh, to say well this guy topped his dad or he didn't, uh, but yeah, you know it, it puts pressure on him. It does, mm-hmm. you know. I told well, you mentioned now with him when he first came back from uh, Calgary from training with Lance, uh, he called me. This I was still living in Cincinnati at the time. And he says, Steve Austin and Lance Storm said, I should get together with you, and, and uh, you could probably help me. I said, sure. So we sat down. You know, he came over to the house, and at the time he had a couple matches. I mean, he was green as grass. Well, he still is, but oh, yeah. he was greener than grass at that <laughs> point in time. But, uh, you know, one of the things I told him, and I tell him again today, and I know, I know it's, uh, it's happened, 
over the short uh, the course of his short career, I said, "Listen, your name is going to be a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. You're going to get more smoke blowing up your rear end than anybody ever deserved. Most of it will be nonsense because guys are going to want to use you to do something for them by using your name." And I said, "They're going to tell you you're ready to be a star tomorrow, and you're not." I'm going to tell you now because nobody ever is, you know. But as long as, as long as he's real about it, that's the main thing. Yeah, he's getting, you know, this uh, the tag match that they had with the, the Young Bucks. Uh, uh, they looked great. That was good, you know. And, and uh, but you know, again, you're only as good as your opponents as well. Believe me. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a dance, man, and you got to have a good partner. To, to complement what you're doing as well. I'm going to bring uh, Mike McCurdy into the conversation here on this edition of Wrestling Memories with our special guest, Les Thatcher. Uh, Grizz, I know you've got some uh, questions uh, lined up and ready to go. I, I, I do have a couple. I'd like to kind of continue on the, uh, the, the Pillman uh, subject line here. Um, what did you think, uh, if you had a chance to watch it, what did you think of the Dark Side of the Ring episode of Pillman? Because a lot of people think it's like the best one they've done. Yeah, you know, I gosh, you know, I at cinema, cinematically, yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, it was as far as I could tell. What I know of of the the whole history of the thing, it was as factual as it, it you know could possibly get. Now, I will say this, and I was called. This came up in conversations right after that. Linda, uh, Brian's sister, uh, mentioned that the funeral only Vince and Jr. were there, and that's wrong. Because I was there. I mean, it's, it's and no reason for her to remember. I was there, and uh, Bruce Hart. Bruce actually wrote and read the eulogy, and we have the eulogy is at uh, is on this uh, set of uh, four discs that we got, uh, and actually uh, we had Chris Jericho read it. I, I was so taken by the eulogy that when I started the Pillman shows, I asked uh, Bruce to send me a copy so I could reprint it. So in each year in the program, I reprinted his eulogy. So that's also uh, on there. Linda, by the, the that lady is a saint. There's no two ways about it. I have a letter that she wrote me uh, for her and her mother, thanking me, you know, for what we, you know, running the shows and Brian's memory and everything. Yeah, she's, uh, what a sweetheart of a lady. And, you know, she's been so good with the kids and all. So, yeah, it, the show, you know, yeah, I, I think it was, uh, it portrayed everything pretty, pretty uh, to the point, as best I could tell. Now, another, uh, he's, he's been a dark side subject, and unfortunately, uh, he just passed a couple weeks ago. And during your run in Smoky Mountain, where you were there as a commentator and interviewer, and you had a chance to work with this guy, and that's New Jack. Uh, wondering, do you have a time, you know, and, have a little, maybe you share a New Jack story or two and talk about him because I, you know, people what, know I'm New Jack like as every, the extreme. I, I know you guys probably well, you, like anybody else, probably saw that so many of us made positive. You know, what a good guy he was. Smart about the wrestling business, which is not the character that you saw on your television or in a house show at ECW or any place else. I, you know, he and I got along really great. We hit it off from from the get go, and uh, you know, yeah, I, you know, and he was sharp about the business. But his business in in wrestling wasn't being a, a technically a technical scientific wrestler or a guy that understood the psychology. 
You know, it was about being a, a thug, a gangster. And he was, you know. Uh, but yeah, he was a good guy. I, I had fun with him. Uh, a couple crazy little stories. Uh, when I was, during my time uh, with HWA, uh, he was uh, spending time with some friends in Dayton, Ohio, just 50 miles north of Cincy. And uh, he called me one time and he said, Les, you know, we were talking, he said, you know, I'm up here in Dayton every once in a while. He said, if it happens to coincide with when you're running a show, man, I'd love to work for you. You know, I, I work for you. I said, uh, Jerome, I, I can't afford you. He said, oh, man, we're buddies. You know, I, I cut you a deal. I said, no, it's not the payoff. It's the bail bonds and the lawsuits I can't afford, right? That's, that's the thing. He just laughed. That was the funniest thing in the world. And another funny, uh, it was this company, I don't know if you guys <clears throat> ever saw any of the kayfabe commentary stuff. A little bit of it. The, yeah, okay. Well, they, they, yeah, they did a couple roasts. One, one was for Cornette, right? And uh, New Jack was there, as was Mike Graham. And Mike and I have been mistaken for one another, Christ, over the years, I don't know how many times. But the funny thing was, I don't know what New Jack was, he drunk or stoned or what, but he thanked me for helping him and, and Smokey twice, but he was talking to Mike Graham at the other end of the podium. <laughs> and I, I've sitting at home watching this and laughing my ass off of it. Damn, Jerome. But yeah, he was a good guy. Uh, you know, it was an adjustment here. Uh, I know he and I had a conversation one time. He was one that, you know, pe- people called him the N-word. And I said, you can't go hit everybody. I said, you've got to look at it like this. That's, you're doing your job and doing it well because that's why they're calling you that. If you weren't, they wouldn't be mad at you. So please look at it that way. You know, when he, when he left Smokey uh, at the end of his run here, he, I think there was like three uh, arrest warrants out for him over different stuff. But... But he was a good guy. I liked him. I got along with him. And, uh, you know, he was a character, all right, but he was good people. Now, while we're, while we're on the subject here and we're talking about Smoky Mountain wrestling, um, what was it like working in, in, in Smoky Mountain at that time? Because, you know, Jim Cornette was, you know, owner-opera was promoting that. and all that. It actually was a really good promotion. I mean, they had great products and great matches on it. But it didn't last very long, I think. Three years, I can't remember what you know. And Jim, of course, I don't, said remember, I don't remember how, how long year. either. Yeah, I. You know what? I had a good. I enjoyed it. I had a good run. Jimmy, I. I, I know what the, the younger generation. Listen, let me say this about Jim Cornette before we go any further about smoking or anything else. If today you're going to be in a conversation about the the best professional wrestling mind still above ground. If Jim Cornette's name isn't in the conversation, then don't bother to have it because his is one of the best. That's a fact. Now, I will tell you this. I understand how Jimmy delivers his message is uh, irritates a lot of people. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, the message is spot friggin' on, boys. It is. He speaks for a lot of people, he does, who don't bother to speak. That's a fact. But, yeah, he's, uh, he's a sharp guy. And, and you know what, Jimmy and I, I've known Jimmy, the first time I met him was at a WFI Wrestling Fans International Convention here in Knoxville. 
1978, he was a fan. That's how far back I go with Jimmy. Um, but I had no problem working with him. I was allowed to be creative. Uh, he and well, we worked together when when I when H W when I was H W A was with uh, WWE as a developmental. Uh, we did our TV in OVW, and Jimmy sat in with a lot of my shows and did color with me. And uh, we we get along great. I mean, he's a bright he's a, he's bright. Is he is he opinionated and animated? He definitely is. But he's also sharp as a tack when it comes to the wrestling business. I, and, you know, of course, here I worked with, uh, got to work with, uh, well, I'd worked with Bob Cottle before and Lance Russell, who I worked with both of them here, and, and, and Smokey, and, of course, Jr. So um, I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed it. I, I did. I truly did. I just think, you know, we were traveling around and doing the TVs, and, and I think a lot of the money went into the remotes initially, I think if there'd have been a set building like in Knoxville proper, uh, where you just walk in and throw a switch and, and the lights come on and you're ready to do your TV, that would have elongated. It. But yeah, it was it was while it ran, we had uh, you know good houses and, and a lot of good matches, a lot of good talent. Now, along with Smoky Mountain, after that, you ran uh, Heartland Wrestling Association (HWA), and this is kind of where I. You know, I, I'd heard your name. I'd seen your name, like, in the magazines and things like that. But this is kind of where I started to notice you because, you know, it was a developmental area for, uh, you know, guys are going into WCW and places like that. And, of course, you know, the uh, the MTV True Life special, uh, I'm a Pro Wrestler, well before Dark Side, you know, one of the only things. You know, they didn't talk about pro wrestling a lot. But that's where I got kind of introduced to you and your name, and that was Heartland Re- Wrestling. Um Let's talk a little bit about that, you know, just kind of just some of the, the people that kind of came out of that. Because I was also, you know, kind of your training center as well for, for guys that were getting into the business. Sure. Well, I'll tell you the truth. This, that was the only reason they were a promotion ran out of there is because we had to have some place for the guys to, you know, to try what they were learning. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, truth of the matter is uh, I got railroaded into, into being a trainer, although I love it now. And I know, I know I've been, you know, I've done well. I've been, I'm good at it. Uh, and that's not bragging if you can back it up, and I will, or can, and have. But, uh, yeah, it was by, almost by accident. Uh, Bob Harmon, uh, the original beautiful Bobby, who uh, that was with WWWF, is a Cincinnati boy. And he and I have been buddies since he broke into business a couple years after me. And uh, he called me. Uh, one day, and, and talked to me. He said, "This guy has got a wrestling school here in Cincinnati, and he's got an idiot as a trainer." And that was just the way he put it. And he's saying, "If he doesn't get a, a better trainer, he's going to lose the, the, the students, and et cetera, et cetera." And I said, "Okay, Bob, why are you telling me this?" Well, because you're the guy who should be his trainer. I said, "Are you out of your mind?" At the t- I was working with Perillo doing. I I was doing competitive bodybuilding at the time. I I did competitive bodybuilding from age 46 to 54, while I was training uh, bodybuilders as well. But anyway, uh, so I said, "Man, no." He said, "Do me a favor, come to a show." At that time, fellas, I had never been to an independent wrestling show, so I told him, "Okay, I'll meet you at such, and we'll go to the show." It's my first indie show I'd ever seen, and I thought, my business has come to this. Are you ribbing me? Are you crazy? Anyway, uh, 
I, uh, I saw these two guys, and this one guy picked a, brought a chair into the ring, and I could tell the way he was carrying it, the way he held it, he didn't know what the hell to do with it. And uh, sure enough, he cold-cocked the other guy, rung his bell. And so anyway, I lean over to my friend Bob, and who the promoter sitting on the other side, uh, and who owns the school but is not the trainer. And I said, this kid didn't have a clue about using that chair. How long has he been in, uh, working? And so Bob leans over and asks the guy, and he says, uh, he's like been training th- six weeks or, or some craziness. Like he's not even ready to be in the ring. Never mind. I mean, in a, a match in front of a crowd, never mind, pick up a chair and hit somebody. So that was when I made up my mind, okay, I'm going to try this. And of course the rest is, is history. Here I am. And, uh, so it, from that stemmed, you know, came HWA and, um, uh, yeah, and we were actually developmental uh, for WCW and then WWF or WWE. And, uh, yeah, uh, Shark Boy started with me. Nigel McGinnis started with me. My Matt Stryker, the original one, the one that can actually work well so, with me. Um, Nigel McGinnis started with me. Um, and during my developmental uh, years, I, Jamie Noble, Shannon Moore, Umaga, Rosie, the Haas brothers. Um, I know I'm missing a bunch of guys, but that's, you know, a round number right there. Jimmy Yang spent a year with me. Um, And over the years, I've worked with, uh, I think Adam Cole will tell you, he'll give me credit for a part of what he does. John Moxley, um, uh, Gulak, um, among others, you know. Uh, Chris Hero. So yeah, it's uh, and and you know what I look at them and they're my kids and and I love watching them and I'll t- you know when I watch NXT, Tim Thatcher uh, is another guy that I've worked with. Uh, when Riddle was at the Monster Factory, I had a chance to work with him, and so and uh, Damian Priest. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm I love watching these guys and watch how they develop and grow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like watching one of your kids, you know, go off to school or something. Very impressive list of uh, talent that went through there. Um, I mentioned it briefly, and like I said, this was kind of before, you know, you didn't have a lot of things on professional wrestling and all that. And this is, like I said, where I saw you. And that was you were featured on uh, MTV's True Life, I'm a Pro Wrestler, which I believe was in 98 or 99. So over 20 years ago. Yeah. 99. Um, how did you get involved with that? Because I still remember the show. I can see Tony Atlas and Triple H in the airport, and I'm always going to remember, uh, you know, the kid that, you know, his ass was on fire. And, and of course, you know, Rapid Delivery, Rory Fox. How did you kind of right. get involved with the, uh, the I'm a Pro Wrestler? Because back then, like I said, they weren't doing a lot of the... the no, you know, the, well, they came, they came to me. Uh, I, you know, uh, I got a call from Banks Tarver, who was the director, a really nice guy. And uh, they were looking for somebody to work with them. Now, I guess they had talked. I don't know how they came across my name. Uh, somebody obviously recommended me, but, but they had talked to a couple other people, and those people were saying, how much are you going to pay me? Well, when you came to me, when MTV comes to me and said, we want to make a feature and include your school, and it's going to play in prime time on our networks all over the world, 
you're paying me. That that is paying me, right? I mean, I can sell my house and my car and and I don't know whatever, rob a couple of banks and still couldn't afford the type of advertisement that HWA was going to get from being on this MTV show. So naturally, I said, "Yes, let's do it." You know, so and uh, it you know it was it was. It was a good, good thing for us. It really was. You know, everyone talks reality shows. They're all script. Let me say this about from the get-go. Banks told us, he said, you do what you do, and I work around that and get what I. When they first came in to Cincy to set up uh, with the kid from Chicago, you know, as you know from watching, he picked him, you know, got him out of bed. All right. When they got in, into Cincinnati uh, on, the, on the west side uh, coming in out of Chicago, he stopped and called me at the gym and said, I'm going to send my lighting and sound people in to set up. I don't want this kid coming in uh, and hanging out with you while we're setting up. I want him to walk in, and I want you to handle it just like you'd handle it if he were walking in without cameras, you know. And that was the way the whole deal went. Uh, You know, he played off of what we were doing. And now, you know, off of that, we were also uh, featured – on ABC's 2020, along with the power plant, and uh, MSNBC's special edition, and um, Men's Fitness uh, magazine sent a, a reporter in to, uh, they did a feature, and uh, and off of this also, uh, I think it was, I forget which network out of St. Louis came in and filmed a two-part for their network. Columbus, ABC out of Columbus, Ohio came in and did a feature, plus all the all the major networks in the Cincinnati area. So we got a lot of coverage. I'll tell you, the MTV thing helped help make us. It really did. Uh, you know, it, it, you could tell when, when that damn show had aired because our phone would start ringing and the computer would start, and people want information. And that, you know, the, here's the crazy thing about that, guys. If you'll notice, all the uh, True Life series are 60 minutes except for that. And Banks went to, went to, you know, to his bosses. They wanted, he said, I cannot tell this story in 60 minutes. We need an hour and a half. And they said, okay, have the hour and a half, uh, in, you know, in first run, whatever they figure out how much that is. But, you know, and then you're going to have to uh, edit it down. But it drew so well that it never was edited down. And, uh yeah, so, yeah, we got off of that. And then, like I say, ABC 2020, uh, MSNBC Special Edition. Uh, it was, you know, it was it was great for us. It really was. You know, funny story about that. You mentioned people, you know, were calling for information. Um, I was one of those. <clears throat> All um, right. I was collecting. It, basically where's your money? Damn it, where the hell is your money? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never train. I don't. I'm a historian. I decided I want to get into the writing and the uh, archiving part of the program. I don't like inflicting pain on myself. But uh, the the funny thing about it is, I call and I'm expecting like you know a secretary to answer the phone or something, and I hear the phone call and I'm listening for a second. I'm like, is this Les Thatcher? And you were like, yes, it is. And I recognized your voice from True Life, and I'm like, whoa. And and for a second, I was a little kind of. Wow, because I wasn't expecting you to answer the phone. I was expecting, you know, <laughs> an employee or somebody to answer the phone. But, yeah, no, you answered the phone. We talked for about five, ten minutes, and you sent me the packet of information and all that. But I still have it. It's in my files. But I just remember that. I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, you were the one that answered the phone. 
Yeah, I, we were a bare bones operation to start. Well, I'll tell you the truth, and Nigel will tell you this too. Nigel and I have become, I mean, close. Anyway, we've we've worked on several other projects, you know, over and above HWA together in, in recent years. But uh, he came down. He was at uh, he was a college, you know, an exchange student, and. Uh, he had written me a letter, and I sent him a brochure, and he came down, drove down, and uh, to visit the school. But he, he's, I've heard him, he's told in other interviews, one of the things that brought him to me, he had sent for information to other people, and other people sent him, yeah, here's what it costs, here's where you show up, here's, you know, and et cetera. And I sent him, we had a nice brochure that I sent out, but also I hand-wrote him, uh, I don't remember what all I said, but the idea that I had taken the time to lo- write longhand uh, with information for him made it. I'm going here to, to talk to this guy because he cares, and that's how we hooked up. You know, so yeah, and and I've always been that. I've always been that way. Uh, if I, you know, still at this point, guys, I'm 80 years old, but I'm, I'm also in a gym five days a week. Uh, you know, I'm not going out and take any bumps if I'm doing a weekend training camp for you at your school or at your with your promotion. But I'm I'm still mentally <laughs> capable of, of you know training your athletes or training athletes, and so yeah I, you know uh, it's it's I still love it you know I I, keep, I I make a joke out of it. I see I'll probably be doing something wrestling related when I uh, take the three count I don't know what that would be but it's probably something. Well, I you know like I said that that funny story and all that you and uh, Roland Alexander with ADW. Uh, were the two that actually spoke to me. Anybody else I have a call, it was usually just kind of a, like I said, an employee, and they would send me information. But, yeah, you and Roland Alexander, those are the two stories that I have as far as calling around to the schools and just collecting information on their training. Roland actually tried to get me to be uh, promote some shows in my area, which I knew nothing about promoting. But if you know Roland, you kind of know that that's just kind of the way he rolls. Yeah, Roland, Roland and I, you know, we actually physically met at Cauliflower Alley, and we always, you know, got together there, you know, uh, once a year and, and sat down. In fact, the crazy thing is, just bef- uh, the year before Roland passed away, he had finally said, look, I, I know we're talking about bringing you to, to Northern California uh, to do a weekend camp, and we're going to get that done. And, of course, it never happened because Roland passed away. But, yeah. Yeah, Roland, uh, Roland is hands-on, too. That was one of the things that I think drew me to him, you know, is that, and, and let's face it, guys, uh, I'm not going to sit here and out anybody, but there are guys in that are calling themselves trainers that need trainers themselves. There, are, there have been a few big names and still are across the board that will use their name on a school, but they have very little to do with it. Or, or you know, here's the other thing. You can be a great trainer and never have been a major star in WrestleMania. You can be a major star in WrestleMania and not be a good trainer. One doesn't necessarily coincide with the other. All right, well, I'm going to pass the microphone back over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a couple of more questions. 
Thank you, Mike. And this is Rasslin Memories, uh, along with our special guest, Les Thatcher. And uh, Les, I'm going to get into the old Wayback Machine here for uh, for a minute right. or two here I, you know, in this last segment. It was just recently uh, news broke that uh, Don Carnoodle uh, passed away, the former professional wrestler, the pride of the Carolinas. And I was looking at uh, just from some research uh, for the interview today, and I noticed you had a chance to work with him very early on in, in Don's career. It was right around the time you worked early on with a, a young man from my great state of Minnesota, Ric Flair. So could you take us back to around the mid-1970s and uh, talk a little bit about uh, working with Don Carnoodle and even a younger Ric Flair? Flair? Who the hell did Flair ever beat anyway? I don't, I don't know, know why we're talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's, we can start with Flair okay. and move on to Noodle because uh, Rick came first. Uh yeah, I uh, I think I had Rick's fourth match maybe in the in the Carolinas. Uh, that was a, the old Richmond Fairgrounds Coliseum, and all you know, all I knew is I there was this new kid, Green, uh, coming from Minnesota. And I thought, oh Christ, one of Vern's stiff guys, Jesus, <laughs> you know, it could be a hard night at the office. But anyway, uh, Rick was about two eighty at that time. He was a big boy, and, and so I I worked with him in Richmond, and uh, you know. Uh, I came back to, to our dressing room and I make a joke out of it now. And, you know, the, the baby faces said, how's the kid? I said, I think he'll be all right. And I think, is that probably the most gross understatement I've ever made in my life? <laughs> he'll be all right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> he'll get by in the business, but I'm not sure how far. No, I was, I was impressed because, you know, just a year in the business. And guys, believe me, it, to learn to be a good worker, not a bump taker or a circus act, uh, it's, it, you know, back when we were working five, six nights a week, they were selling us five years. So today a lot longer, but anyway, so I wasn't expecting that much from Rick, but he was, you know, pretty damn smooth. And, and, you know, I saw, yeah, I saw a future in him, you know, and of course later on, we became friends and, uh, and then I was in, in a small part in, involved in the making of, uh, nature boy, Rick Flair, you know, George Scott sat him down in front of Buddy Rogers films, Watched it over and over and over, and of course, he like to learn him, teach him tag team wrestling. They put him with a great uh, veteran heel, Rip Hawk, uh, and I was handling all the promos and and interview stuff in Raleigh. That we 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 taped promos in Raleigh from uh, noon to five o'clock every Wednesday that were go- inserted into the shows that were going around the territory, or and and some going out of the territory. And of course, and George Scott, you know, at the time, uh, Rick steps onto the set. Uh, if he's good, let him ride. If he gets off track, shut him down, start him over, you know. And so, uh, yeah, and and Rick and I, you know, we don't see each other that often, but we're still friends, and uh, you know, it, it's been a great relationship. I, you know, I can't say I've had a haven't had i couldn't say i've never had fun with nature boy rick Flair because i have i know a lot of people say well you party with him years ago and i say yeah i said but you know if i at this age if i just think about the way we partied then i get tired i don't even have to do anything <laughs> just sit and think about it right hey you did announcing for uh him and uh for for him and blackjack didn't you around that time when they had the, uh, the run of the territory and with southern uh you know they yeah well all those guys i yeah we we uh I, I I was involved with the you know the Crockett thing I I wrote edited 
the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Magazine and uh, during that mid-70s, the, the one and only NWA magazine for the entire National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, and I handled all the promos. Plus, I was doing the B-show for a while. Plus, I wrestled a couple nights a week, too, when I had nothing else to do. Well, between, between 19, uh, November of 77, no, wait, I'll take that back, November of 74 to November of 77, my schedule, I was working two territories. I was working the Knoxville Territory for Ron Fuller and the Charlotte Territory for the Crockett's. Um, I have an apartment in Charlotte. I start there on Monday, sit down with George Scott. We lay out the promos for Wednesday and the shows, this and that. I may wrestle Monday night and Tuesday night. Uh, TV on Wednesday, promos during the day. And like I say, for a while I was, I was uh, hosting the B show. And then uh, Thursday, whatever, got on a plane Friday, flew to Knoxville, uh, wrestled in Knoxville on Friday night, TV on Saturday morning, and uh, another town on Saturday night, back on the plane, Sunday to Charlotte, to start all over again. Like I say, I did that from November of 74 to November of 77. I pass myself in the air sometimes. Hey, Les, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, that was my life for, for that period of time. And so I was involved in so many things, and the Crockett magazines uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And then I did the WWF magazines, five issues for uh, Vince and Jr. and, and George Novelatano. Mm-hmm. So, now, yes, I was kind of busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Service. No kidding. And uh, well, back to the Don Kernoodle, we didn't get a chance to talk about Oh, him. yeah, right. Noodle. Uh, well, you know, he, he wrestled at Elon College, which also is uh, Rick McGraw was an Elon wrestler. Uh, but anyway, uh, Roop came into the Charlotte territory. And of course, Bob had been the Greco uh, wrestler at the Olympics. And so uh, Mr. Crockett decided he wanted to do a take on all comers thing and put me kind of, I was the, I don't know what, the buffer to sit down with. If you had challenged, I, you know, sit down and explain to you this chance you may get hurt here and that you have to beat our guy in 10 minutes or You'd get nothing. If you beat him in 10 minutes, you get $2,000. And you have to sign this release and that release and, and all these releases. So that's actually how I met Don Kernodle for the first time in the Raleigh TV station, you know. And that's how our relationship began. And then, of course, you know, uh, he got the bug after working with Roop there. And they, they didn't get to 10 minutes. Bob finally caught him uh, a little over eight, I think it was. But... Uh, well, Don was a hell of an amateur, too. I mean, he's a damn good wrestler. But anyway, he got the bug, and then he, started, he trained with Ole and, and uh, Gene uh, in Charlotte and started his career. And, of course, had the great run of tag team champions with uh, Sergeant Slaughter and, and uh, uh, Private Nelson and the whole thing. So, yeah, Bob, Don Bob, was a hell of a guy. Yeah, well, he worked with Bob we, Orton, too. Yeah, yeah, he did. Crazy thing with uh, with Don, we had this running joke. Uh, well, he started this whole thing. I mean, we'd run each other like at the Charlotte Fan Fest or the Mobile uh, Golf Coast Wrestlers Union or any place. I'd hear somebody, it's his fault. It's all his fault. And, of course, I knew who was. And I'd look in there, be Don pointing at me. And he always wanted to get a, you know people looking. He wouldn't just walk up to me and say, it's all your fault. It's all his fault. If he had just told me no in that TV station, I wouldn't be in this goofy business, right? And that was <laughs> that was our run through that whole period of time. He was a good guy too, Absolutely. a real good guy. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. uh, great memories of, of of him as well. I mean, uh, just uh, you know, it 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 was you know back then it, I was the same kind of guy, uh, kid wanting to be in the business, had stars in your eyes, you know, and uh, to get a chance to do it, it was. Uh, Hell, I'm I'm still living my dream, I guess. <laughs> Although sometimes it becomes a nightmare at this point, guys. <laughs> well, before we go, let's uh, promote again uh, this wonderful uh, collection from the of these Pillman shows, these Brian Pillman uh, memorial tribute shows. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you can get them, where you can find them, uh, and uh, yeah, because our listeners will definitely get on this. This, uh, I mean, this sounds like so so much great stuff. Not only the events, but the extras. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, may I tell you that I am available for one-day seminars or weekend training camps. I prefer the weekends because obviously you get more done. But anyway, if any promoter or wrestling school or trainers are interested, they can reach me, lesthatcher28 at gmail.com. And so drop me a line if you're interested. I'll be more than happy to send you out the information of what I do and what it costs in the whole nine yards. And as far as the, the Brian Pillman uh, Anthology Series, you can get that at Pillman, uh, brianpillmanshow.com. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to joe-dombrowski.com or prowrestlinglibrary.com. As I mentioned earlier, four discs, over 15 hours of content, uh, virtually all the matches from all four years, and great stars and and. The extras are, show, you know, like I say, from the one, the year '99, we did a radio show. I had a uh, three uh, three hour block on the Clear Channel All Sports Talk uh, station in Cincinnati, uh, Wednesday night main event from nine to midnight. And in '99, we set up and did the afternoon, uh, did the broadcast in the afternoon from the Cincinnati Gardens. And my two co-hosts, obviously, I was busy running around being ring announcer and this and that and the other thing. But they had Al Snow and Mick Foley and Dave Meltzer and God, I'm not even sure who all. But those extras are on there as well. And like I said, some of these great matches, there were always some top-flight matches. But you, you're going to see uh, nobody laid down, guys. That's the thing that made me feel so good about it. And everybody busted their hump on these shows. But anyway, uh, you can get those at, you know, um, com, and uh, they'll get uh, – they're going out, and, and this has been a great run, and uh, believe me, I think you'll enjoy it. So far, I've got nothing but uh, positive feedback from it. And like I say, if you weren't at any of these shows, all this footage is going to be brand new to everybody. Oh, man, I can already feel the the money sliding out of my wallet for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's sliding real fast, let me channel some of it for you. Yeah. Hey, hey! Now I don't have a. I don't want to give out the vast fortune, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know how you rich guys are. I, yeah, I it's that us Minnesota <laughs> us Minnesota tycoons up here. Yes, absolutely. You probably you probably got uh, Prince's fortune, right? Oh, pff, easy. You know, before he passed, you know, we were he was on speed dial. I got you. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Les, uh, for hanging out and uh, chatting with us. And, of course, the door is always open if you want to come back and we'll chat sure. about anything, any part of your wonderful career. But thank you so much, sir. It was wonderful. Well, guys, it's I've enjoyed talking to you. I hope you've got something interesting and, and uh, fun out of it. And be more than happy to come back. Let me know. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Rematch is already uh, in the works here. We're going to have to get the promoter to sign the deal. For Les Les Thatcher and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.